Welcome in Chloe Brown. She joins us now, former mayoral candidate. It's great to have you on. Thank you. How are you? I'm really good. Um, and I don't sound it, though. I really am, though. Uh, Kevin Vong joins us, uh, an independent MP for Spadina, Fort York. How's Kevin this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Greg. Happy to, as a matter of fact. All right. Um, this is new, and I don't know that we knew that this would get here uh, based on a lot that's happened weekend after weekend in the city of Toronto. Uh, but two men were arrested yesterday, and people would remember this clip from back on December 17th, 2023, in which a protester made a threat in front of a police officer. You come near me, I'll put your leg down on the floor. I'll lay you sleep. I'll put you six feet deep. I'll put you six feet deep. Okay, not great. Um, And this man now has been charged along with uh, somebody he was with in relation to a mischief incident. But there is uh, the idea of an assault charge. There's the idea of making a verbal threat to another person in the mall. Chloe, let me start with you. It it does seem like police are doing a lot of of backstepping, if you will, and maybe things that should have been done back in December are being done now in the middle of January. Um, How do you view it? They have to take the evidence as it becomes available. And in that particular incident, the original video didn't have great audio. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as we enter past like for past 100 days in this genocide, I'm I'm just seeing the police doing their job. You know what I mean? They're not really supposed to take a side in this. They're just supposed to protect the public. So. Yeah, I'm not really happy about it, not upset about it. It is what it is. Kevin, it's one of those scenarios where I think we realized that that maybe in the streets, it's one thing, go up and down the streets, meet in a public park. But I think it, it, it a lot of people documented the idea that the Eaton Center is private property. These stores are private property. So beyond all the other um, hand wringing there was on both sides of this particular issue, um, that there were there were a lot of laws broken potentially by these two protesters on that day, December 17th, let alone a death threat. Absolutely, Greg. The reality is our right to peaceful assembly does not mean you have a right to trespass on private property, which which the mall was. And I, you know, I, I think when this first happened, I was outraged like everyone else to see what looked like clearly a, a death threat uttered in front of Toronto police officers. And, and it wasn't just that incident. Right. It was after a month of escalating incidents where we were seeing the violence in the Middle East spill out onto our streets here in, in Toronto. Now, to be fair to Toronto Police, um, I, I've been in regular contact with them, frankly, out of necessity. And, and I think there are a few things I want to say. One is, obviously, everyone wants to see our laws upheld and enforced when a law is broken as opposed to later. But I think the reality is, and, and from those who saw the video, you would have seen the three police officers uh, in the video clearly outnumbered by probably like a hundred protesters. So, so the safety element there, investigations also mm-hmm. take time. Um, and so I, I don't think it happened as quick as we would have wanted, but ultimately the investigations were done. And now we have two individuals who have been charged uh, and now they'll be prosecuted in a court of law. Chloe, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because a lot of people have, I think, with good intentions, with political knowledge, have gone out on the streets and said, this is how I can make a difference. I'm not going to sit behind a keyboard. I'm going to walk the walk instead of talking the talk. 
and and they may be um you know relieved that some of the there's always going to be bad actors left right center up north up down wherever and they may be relieved that um that that protesters that would do such a thing they don't want to identify with with people that would make a threat they want to go out and and make their say and and say what they feel but they don't want that association and uh, we've obviously put a lot of people in the same bucket in the in these processes Civil disobedience requires risk, and we're at that point where people are sacrificing their bodies, their legal rights, in order for us to move towards an effective solution. Uh, Recently, Bibi Netanyahu got on TV and said that he has been actively working against the two-state solution for 30 years. This conflict has been going on for 70, so for at least half that time, one man has been actively orchestrating different acts Mm -hmm. of civil disobedience and bringing us all into it. So at this point, while I understand bad actors may discredit certain things, people are really having to define where they stand in times of controversy, and that is the definition of building character. So yes, we may be uncomfortable with what's going on in our local streets, but in Mm. the future, this will define who we are and our willingness to fight for each other, because God forbid something happens to you or your family, wouldn't you want me in the streets fighting for their safe return? I hear that. Kevin, are we getting to a better place uh, in our streets? I was listening yesterday and, and hearing, well, there, there's a protest on this street, on that street, but we're steering clear of of private entities. I, I don't know if the low point was uh, Mayor Chow's skating party getting interrupted, but we haven't seen an incident like it since, and it's 15 days since that. Are we getting to a better place where it's more about conversation, respecting the other side, even if we disagree than we were at maybe a month ago? I, I'm hoping so. I, I think the re- what was happening was every incident of violence and hate left unanswered emboldens those bad actors who would do something like that, right? And so now that we're seeing the Toronto Police Service uh, step up and hold people accountable and uphold our laws, right? Canada has to be governed by rule of law, not mob rule. Um, and, and I think we're seeing now that, that constructive civil discourse hopefully return to our streets. Um, you know, and I'm not going to come, you know, like the reality is um, any innocent life loss is immensely tragic. And what's happening in the Middle East is immensely tragic. But Canada's role and frankly, the influence that we have is fairly limited. My priority, first and foremost, is the safety of people here in Canada and on the streets of Toronto. And, and I think it's important that we return rule of law to our city. Let me get to international students. And Chloe, I know you and I had a, a great conversation about with Steve Pakin last week. There's clearly a cap coming. I want our audience uh, to hear from the federal government. I want our audience to hear uh, one of Kevin's House of Commons colleagues. He is uh, the Minister of Public Safety, Dominic LeBlanc. Here's what he said about the potential for there to be a cap coming from the Trudeau Liberals. He and I have discussed, and he's discussed with cabinet colleagues, uh, the very significant increase in foreign students and the pressure that that puts on uh, things like housing availability, rental housing, uh, and ensuring that there's integrity uh, in terms of of those arrivals and and those students. Uh, I'm not sure the problem is with sort of the the traditional university students. I think there are some other smaller colleges that perhaps uh, need to be uh, need to be looked at in a more robust way. So, Chloe, we make that distinction sometimes um, between where universities are at and where some of the private colleges are, some of the community colleges. There are a couple of colleges in the in the uh, GTA 
that have more students that are non-Canadian than Canadian. U of T is not quite at that percentage, but it is at 25% of its undergrads are universal students. Are there arguments to be made on on either side that we need a hard cap on all post-secondary institutions, or are we going to be able to crack down on those so-called bad actors and, and leave leave schools like U of T alone? I think that we have to really see that U of T is a large medical school. It produces some of the best science and technology innovations in the country. So I would leave U of T alone. The mm. private colleges that are offering your basic medical administrator, fine accountant, like you can see these ads on basic transportation. Those ones really need to be ended, in my opinion. I think we have enough publicly funded colleges to accommodate 25% international students. It's really a matter of the feds taking responsibility to rein in the provinces that have been allowing these license mills to import these students. Because ultimately, while I understand the feds do not have an educational policy, through Employment Social Development Canada, they provide wage subsidies to employers who are using these students in various internship roles. So there is a big opportunity here for the feds and the provinces to pull up their big boy pants and really start talking about what do we want for our country? Because we do have a labor shortage in construction that is never being filled. And I'm at this point of insanity with it, with, with particularly the apprenticeship part, because it's like, how many more people can we bring in to fix the housing crisis and watch it deteriorate? Yeah, there's that to consider as well. Kevin, we, we got a massive problem here, and I couldn't isolate when it started, but it's obvious it's been happening for a long time. Do we need to just just break it all down, review agreements between Ontario and the feds about immigration, refugees, international students? All of this is intertwined, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and it's interesting to hear U of T um, brought up as part of the topic. I That's one of my uh, alma maters. And one of my classmates when I was doing my master's at U of T um, actually runs a private career college. So I think it's important that we don't paint with a broad uh, brushstroke all private career colleges equal bad. Um, because I, I know his uh, was focused on training individuals uh, to work as PSWs, personal support workers, yeah. something that we critically need. Right. Um, it's zeroing in on on the bad actors. What I find very interesting is to see the gap emerging uh, from within the liberal government and within the Trudeau cabinet. Right. If, if you match up what the public safety minister is saying with their immigration minister and their housing minister, there there's an emerging gap in terms of kind of what they're saying uh, with regards to whether there should be a gap or not. What's even more fascinating, Greg, is that cognitive dissonance within Trudeau Minister Sean Fraser, who's currently housing minister, but six months ago was immigration minister. And, and so if you asked him six months ago about the state of immigration, particularly as it relates to the, um, the uh, international students, what he said then is very different from what he's saying now. Conestoga College is a great example of this, Kevin. I'll, I'll stick with you and then come back to Chloe. Uh, they're, they're in Kitchener right now, and they've got such a spillover effect. Their international student numbers in 1415, 763, so under 800. They're at almost 13,000 two academic years ago. And that's kind of COVID times, fall of 21 going into 22. So I can only imagine where it's at this year. I had a friend or a listener to the show, I should say, email me and say, he he's got his daughter working front desk of a uh, a motel he's 
convinced there's eight students at times staying in one two bedroom uh, motel room. And that's the cheapest accommodations they can find. There's eight people in a two bedroom motel room and they just pay week by week by week. That's where they live. That's not what post-secondary, whatever they were promised, it isn't that. And whatever post-secondary education is supposed to be, Kevin, it sure isn't that either. Yeah, and, and that's very alarming, right? This is the sort of stuff that they, the federal government needs to zero in on to really try to understand how we're getting to this point. You know, Conestoga and a number of different uh, colleges, it's just to kind of riff off of, of what Chloe was saying, mm-hmm. is a publicly funded uh, secondary institution, right? So here's a college. This isn't a private career college uh, that's publicly funded. Um, you know, I, I think it would be natural for a lot of Canadians to to wonder how is it that the institution that's publicly funded has has had such a huge imbalance in, in terms of international to domestic Canadian students. This isn't to say that having international students is bad, but it's it's trying to understand how do we get to this point. Um, you know, my whether it's U of T or or Western where I did my undergrad, mm-hmm. my understanding is that balance continues to to be weighted towards domestic Canadian students. And so we get the benefit of international perspectives while continuing to remain as a publicly funded institution, something that's focused for Canadians. Chloe, you've got eyes and ears on this that that I don't have right now. Do you, would you say there's been some institutions that have just been, it's been a bit of a, an arms race. There's been aggressive recruitment campaigns, almost a dueling against each other to grab these international students and subvert, and, and conversely, these $20,000 tuition payments per, per kid. Absolutely, because let's talk about public funding for public institutions that has been cut. When we look at how many domestic students qualify for programs like OSAP, and how much of that is grants versus loans. How, I'm not really shocked that a lot of domestic students don't partake in long-term education. And this is where I find there's a bigger opportunity to remove the private colleges and expand the public college network because there's an opportunity not only to fix Conestoga's program by expanding the campus, but it's an opportunity mm-hmm. to help the town by expanding housing because we need to keep people in medium-sized and small towns that are dying because of a lack of people. So there's a really big need to talk about a long-term plan in not just settlement services that the Fed specialize in, but permanent long-term housing so that we keep professionals. Because when I look at the housing, sorry, the healthcare system, one of the biggest issues is that we underpay our workers and we allow employers to take on low-wage international labor. Yeah, exactly that. Um, all right, I want to I want to move this and get to the, our last couple things. Uh, and Chloe, let me stay with you here. I'm sure Kevin will uh, be uh, rubbing his palms to get at this one. But the Trudeau Liberals will uh, rally, if you will, their cabinet. They're going to meet for three days, attempt to find out. Um, and and one of the emphasis points is issues that affect the middle class. Which, uh, again, some of our listeners will no doubt roll their eyes uh, as far skyward as humanly possible. We've seen political comebacks. We're at risk of seeing one south of the border right now. Is there something the Trudeau liberals can do in 2024, Chloe, that gets back on track and wins some faith back among maybe people that voted for them once, twice or thrice? They would need a mega church revival <laughs> with a gospel choir. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where I'm as a private citizen, I'm just like, 
I need you to pull a rabbit out of the hat with some of those programs you promised me, like in 2015. I'm still waiting for electoral reform, even if that looked like term limits or ranked ballots. I would appreciate some movement on that. Uh, I really am frustrated with the middle class branding again, because Mm -hmm. the big issue here is that the working class, it has three different tiers in it, middle, lower, and upper working class. To really try to carve out, we're just going to say one class of people tells me that they haven't learned anything. So I'm hoping that this rally brings them some common sense and maybe the gospel of the Lord will hit them because it's like you can't come back out here with the same tired message. You need to revive the party, and that means digging deeper than just basic branding. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I think you've nailed it. And and Kevin, people for people who don't know you, you ran as a as a potential liberal MP in fall of 21. You now sit as an independent. And I think Chloe has it on the middle class. There's not as many middle class left as there were even last election, let alone going back to 2015. You're either on the safe side of losing your job, missing a paycheck or two and being insolvent or you're not. I think the reality is, Greg, all of us is probably one really bad incident away from, a, you know, potentially being on the street. And, and I think that's an important thing to remember. Now, when you, when you look at the liberals, listen, when you've hit rock bottom, as, as I think they have, you you only have up to go from there. And and I saw there was a, the latest anger re, Angus Reid poll actually had the conservatives at 222 seats and the liberals at 53. Compare that to the seats right now. Liberals have 157 seats in the House of Commons, right? That is that is a, a drop down to essentially a third of what they have now. And if if they are able to turn it around, and I'd be fine with that because you know what that means? That means that they have addressed the issues that Canadians are facing. Affordability, housing, safety. Those are the three things when I walk the streets, when I knock on doors, yeah. when I talk to neighbors um, that are important to them. And, and there's a few things I'll point out that, that the Liberals can do that, you know, if, if Trudeau is listening right now, this is what you should do, Prime Minister. That carbon tax exemption you gave to Atlantic Canadians, Ontarians and Torontonians deserve it too. Ontarians and Torontonians are the one who kept you in power um, and re-elected you. We deserve the same exemptions and the same support. Now, the challenge that I'll say that I think there, there's a video that's, that's making the rounds, and that's... At UFC 297, the sold-out crowd in what looked at, uh, I think it was the Scotiabank Arena, yeah. over 18,000 people, Eraptors, like audience worth of people, started chanting F. Trudeau. And, and I, I don't support that sort of stuff, but I think it, talk, it says a lot about the mountain that Trudeau needs to climb to be able to turn things around. But but I'll I'll make I'll make the counter. Would a UFC audience be voting for Justin Trudeau two years yeah. ago anyway? <laughs> right? Yeah. No, no, fair fair point. Um, but but I but I think if you if you then follow it through a little bit more, right? And, and you look through, again. I, I appreciate that social media is not mm. necessarily always representative of Canadians writ large. But if you if you just look at the discourse of of what we can. Every comment on every single one of these reposts and videos of this is, is, is majority negative on the government. And so I think it says a lot about what they have to do yeah. and the extent with which they need to address the key issues, safety, affordability, and housing so that people my age, I'm 34, okay? Yeah. Us millennials, who, who largely are the ones that help them get into power, have been put in a place where we can't even imagine 
uh, a future where we own a home. And Chloe, this gets us to where we even are south of the border. There's just a large group of Canadians that I talk to that are your age and Kevin's age that are so disengaged from politics. The three of us aren't. We are. We're all in. We can, Sometimes we can't get enough of the stuff, even when we should probably walk away. But there's a large group just not planning to vote, not trusting anybody, not thinking anyone has their back anymore. And I don't blame them, given some of the things that happen nowadays. Uh, yeah, I'm one of them, to be honest. At this point, I'm always looking at a visa overseas and thinking about what do my prospects look like in a country that wants me to do more than just the bare minimum. Mm. And honestly, I'm really hoping that the Trudeau government really considers how they engage with my group again, because we were in our 20s when they won. Now we're 30. We have more work experience. We have better understandings of how political systems work. And a modernization plan is something that I think all of us could appreciate. Not to just focus on myself, but like, Pension plans are something that baby boomers are really invested in. So even if my age group doesn't Mm. vote, baby boomers are a group that really needs to be reengaged because my parents are dipping into their retirement to make sure that we're okay. And I know a lot of elderly women who their partners are dying and the widow's fund is not big enough for all of them. So there's a really big opportunity here to recruit not just my age group, but my parents and have a really big dinner conversation about what does this future look like and how can I help versus what what can the voter do for the Trudeau government? Because honestly, Justin is banking on the social capital my parents had for his, his father, and he's running out of what's left. So it's a really big, I don't know, generational moment, not for me, but also for him. Yeah, I hear that loud and clear. And uh, next time you're on, we're out of time right now, but let's go over some of the countries you're considering moving to and and maybe you need like a like a hired hand around the house because I'm it's got to be warm. Like, why would we move from one cold country to another? But you let me in on those ideas. If you're okay for Montego Bay, <laughs> I, I like the idea of it. Uh, and a sitcom, Kevin, you, me, Chloe, Three's Company. We'll get the old we'll, we'll do the old thing again. That's very optimistic. Yeah, it really is. It's it, it, you. You're absolutely right. Whether we had Mr. Furley or Mr. Roper as the landlord, either way, it's uh, it's got some risk to it. I loved having both you guys on this morning. Thank you so much for the time and have a great Monday. Take care, Greg. Thanks for having me, Greg. Kevin Vong, uh, independent MP in the House of Commons, and Chloe Brown joining us on Toronto Today.